I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Were you hanging out with us at about this time on Friday? If so, you'll probably remember a conversation which took place right here on on these airwaves. Uh, We spoke with a lawmaker. We spoke, uh, well, I opened up the phone lines. You and I had a chance to talk. And it was about mugshots. And if I'm honest, I really didn't expect that topic to be as explosive as it was. I think I spent the next 20 or 30 minutes after the program was over scrolling through uh, the the countless text messages sharing uh, thoughts and views on on this issue. Now, what am I talking about? Well, on Friday, we introduced here on the program a piece of legislation right now winding its way uh, through Utah's Capitol Hill, the, the state legislature up there as it's in session now, making its way through the various steps in the process, and ultimately what the piece of legislation would do, if it made its way all the way to the governor's desk in current form, it would make uh, it would make mugshots protected information. What's that mean? Well, right now, as it is, uh, you can probably picture this. Picture scrolling through uh, your news feed, maybe social media, uh, or back when newspapers were still printed, flipping through the pages there. Y- you know what a mugshot looks like, right? You've seen them. You see them. You may have seen one or two or a dozen already today. And I want to do a little mental exercise similar to the one we did uh, last week. I want you to, if you're able to do so safely, close your eyes, uh, picture a mug shot, just a, you know, a generic mug shot, and ask yourself, what do you think? What do you? How do you feel about the person pictured there? Are you looking at a guilty person? Are you looking at someone who has uh, definitely committed some terrible evil uh, against a fellow human or against society or against a a business? Someone who's stolen or committed violence or theft? Or are you seeing someone at one of the earlier stages in the justice system uh, who has yet to be determined anything other than innocent because we are all innocent until proven guilty here in this glorious country? Anyway, we don't need to relitigate that point. uh, But what it has done, it has led me to uh, kind of explore that idea. I'm not exactly sure where I stand on the matter. There were many, though, uh, who on Friday said that, no, no, these these mugshots really shouldn't be made public because they do uh, give off a certain impression. And that impression uh, is something that can last online forever. I don't think the Internet's going anywhere. Once a mugshot 
is publicized, once it is part, uh, once it is part of uh, some news story, that's it. It's online. It's there forever. Once it makes its way onto social media, that's it. It is shared and indelibly attached to the World Wide Web for all time to come. You ever try to scrub something from the Internet? Yeah, give it a shot. See if you don't encounter something called the Streisand effect. I don't have time to get into that, but if you know, you know. The Streisand effect, yeah. Trying to take something down uh, may cause a little more damage than than you think. Anyway, uh, what I'm getting at here is very often we see stories involving mugshots. Uh, and that individual pictured. Then after making their way through the justice system is ultimately, occasionally, uh, vindicated or acquitted of any charges they may face. They may face. Remember that, too. A mugshot. Sometimes people who appear in mugshots, they're never even charged with anything. And so what about those folks? What about those who appear online in front of countless hundreds of thousands of eyeballs, impressions being left, indelibly uh, left on the Internet for all future employer, romantic interest, or bank, or whoever, to Google and encounter one thing that we don't do that well, and I, I listen, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself. One of the things that I don't do that well is when someone is arrested on suspicion of a crime, when that person is ultimately vindicated by the justice system, the story's not usually that exciting at that point. And so you don't spend so, you don't, you don't, sorry, let me, let me slow down. You don't spend much time covering the not guilties. You don't spend much time covering the acquitteds. You don't spend much time covering the no charges filed. And that's a disservice to those who uh, are, you know, booked, who have their mugshot taken and find themselves online. And so I bring that up only to uh, communicate to you a commitment uh, to follow through. When we hear on this program, when we cover uh, stories of arrest, when we cover stories of people getting booked into jail, having their mug shot uh, taken, I'm going to do my best uh, to follow those stories through all the way to the end. Because oftentimes it's the case uh, that they end up acquitted, no charges filed. And that information is not readily available to those uh, future romantic interests or <laughs> future employers or future business partners. And so with that spirit, let me take the next few minutes to give you a little bit of follow-up on a story that we covered uh, in 2020. Do you remember the name Holly Cortier? Holly Suzanne Cortier. This was mid-October. A 38-year-old woman from Los Angeles Uh, She went missing. She went missing after she took a shuttle in Zion National Park. Now, nearly uh, two weeks later, 12 days to be specific, she was found alive by rescuers and law enforcement officer. Not long after that, there was all kinds of talk on the Internet about, wait a second, she, she survived without supplies for that long? How could it be? There were many that speculated some sort of scam was afoot, some sort of fraud, some sort of deception was afoot. And so various investigations 
specifically one undertaken by the Washington County Sheriff's Office, began investigating the circumstances surrounding her appearance, her disappearance, rather. Well, uh, in the spirit of following stories through to their completion, I'd like you to know, and I'd like to, you know, for this program to serve as an example for you know following through, the Washington County Sheriff's Office, through uh, Deputy Graham Hancock, uh, he let it be known that the investigation by authorities, which had continued over several months, uh, was closed, and that uh, no evidence of wrongdoing had been discovered. And that's that, at least in terms of the investigation conducted by uh, the sheriff's office in Washington County. That's the end of the story. And it's not exciting. It's not flashy. It doesn't uh, involve a perp walk. It doesn't involve a lengthy trial. It doesn't involve a reexamination of what took place over those 12 days on full view of the public. It's just a case closed. Investigation concluded. No wrongdoing discovered. But in that announcement, it does, to some degree, clear the name of Holly Suzanne Cortier, the woman who, for whatever reason, uh, was lost in Zion National Park for 12 days. Going forward, we're going to continue this pattern. If uh, we talk about charges filed, if we talk about suspicion of charges, suspicion of wrongdoing, and there are arrests and mugshots, we're going to follow it through to the end. We're going to bring you, regardless of guilt or innocence, the conclusion to the story because it's important for the reputation of the people involved and it's important to the integrity of this program. Quick break. When we return, we're going to spend the rest of this program speaking with the Salt Lake County Health Department on how they are handling the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine. Your questions, send them in, 57500. That's the Utah Community Credit Union text line. What would you like to learn from the Salt Lake County Health Department? Now's your chance to ask, 57500. Quick break, back with more here on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another... Pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.